Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too. And I'll be right there behind you. Constant listeners, and welcome yet again to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast. It's been a while. We're back, baby. Yeah, I'm rock- two months. Yeah, it's been about. Has it been two months? Yeah, it's late November. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The last time we were uh, uh, Doctor Duerme. Um, Wait, what? Doctor uh, Sleep. I was using. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> Uh, I'm uh, rocking Randall Colburn, and who are you? Uh, Michael Myers Rothman, and uh, that's only just because I couldn't think of a, a Kingian middle name. Well, we've been gone for two months. We're a yeah. little rusty. Yeah. That's okay. We have a special guest, but first, we just want to say thank you for bearing with us yeah. over these last two months. We've been doing some reconstructing. We're figuring out uh, a few things about the future of the pod, and also the holidays. Oh, boy. They I were know. just hell. The holidays were hell, and uh, I, I don't think any of the holidays last year were orthodox in any shape or form. I mean, here at least in Chicago. Um, Halloween, snowstorm. Yep. Uh, Thanksgiving, it felt like a weird spring dew day. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christmas was warmer yep. than most of the summer days. Not much holiday spirit. Not much holiday spirit. And then New Year's was just an ice storm and uh, not the Ang Lee variety. So, it's true. Because um, that actually takes place on Thanksgiving. So ah. it really confused this. Um, so, anyway. <laughs> so we're kicking off the new year. Uh, just to give you an idea of what the next few weeks are going to look like, uh, we're kicking off with a review of The Outsider, yeah. which is on HBO, uh, adapted from the Stephen King book from 2018. Man, they turned that around fast. Is, I may, th- that might be the fastest turnaround yeah. for Stephen King. Adaptation. Every time I was writing it up, I was like, wait, it came out in 2017, right? Mm-hmm. No, it's 2018. Yeah. And so... Um, so we're going to be talking about that, and then we're also going to cap it off with a little uh, addendum about Castle Rock, the yeah. ending of Castle Rock. Uh, our episode on the first five episodes was one of our more beloved episodes. Oh I'd yeah, say. absolutely. Everyone Just kidding. Loved it. You guys were really mad about that. Which we still uh, get messages from it. But hey, guess what? We were right. Yeah, we were because right. it sucked. Yeah, so that's yeah. tune in for uh, those thoughts later. We're actually going to have Tim <laughs> Robbins on the show, and he's going to give us a whole. He's going to be absolutely transparent about. I, I just thought it was a really bad. Uh, <laughs> that's my Tim Robbins impersonation, by the way. Um, um and then uh, yeah, so we're going to be discussing those. Uh, we'll be back again next week to talk about the King in t- 2020, what the future kind of just you know uh, prepare us for the future uh, sort of episode. And then uh, fun soon fact: after- uh, no King movies this year. Yeah, no, none that are well. They're Unless in development. The comes well, like out. I feel like something will come out. We just don't know about it. Yet. Yeah, like because there's been so many that have been announced. What if Mike Flynn? Oh well. Director's uh, a director's cut of Doctor Sleep. Maybe we'll be talking about that a little bit. Yeah, too. we might so talk about that. Hopefully, uh, we get it. Yeah, yeah. And so we'll we'll be doing that. And then we're going to our first book of the year, which we've been hyping on social media, and we've been we hyped, you know, at the end of uh, last year. Uh, Needful Things. Yes. This is a big one. It's a huge one, and I adore this novel. Is this this is shorter Spoiler than alert. it though? What was that? This is shorter than it. 
Uh, yeah. yeah, it's like I think it's like seven fifty, eight hundred mm-hmm. around there. Yeah, and uh, I'm very, very excited to talk about this book. I feel like I've been dropping references to it since day one. Yeah, uh, and we're really excited about that. So we're gonna be, uh, I would say, early February. Probably expect. Yeah, those early episodes. February, right in time for Valentine's Day. And who's <laughs> your Valentine? I would say Ace Merrill. Um, uh, Ace Merrill is absolutely my Valentine. Ace in the hole. Let's just say uh, Bauer Hour is coming back. Yep. and this time it's gonna be about Ace. Yeah. So yeah. I cannot wait. It's gonna be fun. So if you have not started your reread of Needful Things or <laughs> your first read of Needful Things, you better get on it because although it, we, it reads quick. It does really read quick. I, I think, you know, it starts off, you're in, and then there's a little lull, yeah. and then something explosive happens. Oh, and man. And you're just... And then that last turn. half of that book is just, it, it, it's, it's, it's ravenous. It's as rabid as uh, Cujo. Ooh, uh, reference up there on the Canberra Ranch. Um, yes, it's true. So, uh, so that's the future uh, right now, and we have a few other announcements that we're going to make in the coming uh, coming month or two. We're still figuring some things out, so uh, lots to look forward to, including having a guest on this episode. Oh yes, and uh, in fact, we just talked about needful things. She has read needful things five times, which I think might beat any of us on that's, the podcast. I'm three, so you're three. Yeah. What's the most Stephen King books that you've read? Like the, oh, yeah, the, mo- the most, the most I've read one book. Yeah. Uh, probably The Stand. That's what I thought. I read four times. Four times. Yeah. So oh, That's no slouch of a book either. So. I know. I know. It, well, it's my first King and I revisit it often. So yeah. Although Needful Things I read three the and then Tommyknockers I read four. Oh, God. Including the reread, which that's, uh, yeah, which is yeah. why I think I was... I was highly qualified to be the defender. Yeah. <laughs> the lone I defender. So. I think so. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Jen, why don't you introduce yourself? Who are you and why are you here? Hi, I am Jen uh, Holly Gibney Adams. And- <laughs> <laughs> nice. Good one. Nice. Um, and I am just a huge Stephen King fan. I think I might have you beat on the number of times that I've read The Stand, though. Oh, shit. I, I know. I lost count around like eight. So, wow. here's what happened. Before I discovered that podcasts existed, I just used to listen to Stephen King audiobooks over and over again. So I think I've actually physically read Needful Things twice, but I've listened to it probably about three, maybe four times. Oh, wow. Who yeah. narrates that that audiobook, the Needful Things one? Stephen King. Oh, he does oh, it? Oh, wow. He does. Yeah, it's a really good audio because you hear it in his voice like, you've been here before. <laughs> oh, you know? my God. <laughs> well, that's actually interesting because when I've been reading it, there is – he that authorial presence is very present in this book mm-hmm. and that's something that i have i want to talk about on the episode but because there's a lot of like you know there's that omniscience to mm-hmm. it to the narration and, and he like he, pivots bet- depending on what character he's yeah he's, you know he's discussing it's so a, it's kind of jarring sometimes but mm-hmm. i kind of like it too so yeah. so yeah so um and then jen you are the host of another podcast on the consequence podcast network what is it I am. Yeah, I am one of the co-hosts of the Horror Virgin podcast. We are a comedy horror podcast. Um, My friend Todd is the horror virgin and he does not like horror because he's terrified of it. So every week we kind of make him watch a movie and then we just talk about it after. I um, try to convince him that horror is the greatest and that he should love it. And then we kind of laugh at how scared he gets a little bit. But yeah, it's really fun. And we just joined the Consequence of Sound Network. So we're really excited about that. So, yeah, and I, I've been totally excited because I've, I've been a huge fan, and I've been going through your entire catalog. And um, to keep it king, I actually was listening to The Mist, and oh, yeah. I, I really loved hearing how Todd, despite the <laughs> fact that his entire crew, because he was working in, on a film set at the time uh-huh. when The Mist was released, his entire crew having a fun time drinking, they're all like, let's go see a movie. And Todd is so scared of horror movies that he's like, no, nah, I'm going to go home. 
Like the <laughs> yeah. entire crew is going out to go see this movie. That sounds like a heavenly night for me. And he's like, no, I'm going to go home. I'm good. I'll always remember the mist getting ruined for me when I saw it in the theaters because there was uh, two bad boys like oh. sitting in front of us and they were just giggling and laughing the whole time. And it was like, and on their phones, it was uh, the absolute worst. I was, it was ruined the whole experience. You almost wish that they were in the, the car at the end. I of wish the they were. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Jesus. All right. We don't need to go uh, down that, especially in this day and age. But um, I actually saw it with Caffrey and I want to say Caffrey was fatigued by the ending. Yeah. Because well, he had read it. Yeah, we've talked, because I hated the ending too at first. Yeah, and I've come and now around I love to it. it. Um, yeah, I've come around to it. There, there's a lot of insight in, uh, in the episodes. So you should, you know, if you, if it's a, and it's actually a really good entry point, I feel, um, to, to the horror virgin. And I think, you know, if constant listeners, constant readers, uh, if you want to start there, go for it. But you've covered, uh, you know, you've covered a couple other, uh, you know, King works too. So yeah, um, yeah. we did um, Carrie and then we've done both it chapters one and two. Um, we did Misery and then we did, um, The Shining pretty recently. And that's, I think I am biased, I know, but I think that's one of our better episodes. Um, we kind of got pretty deep in discussing some of the themes of the book, but it's still pretty funny in places too. So yeah. Nice. 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 Yeah. And I, and I mean, that's actually uh, a pretty high grade horror movie for, for Todd to be watching. I would imagine is, too. Yeah. So, yeah well, he had to work up to it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which is hilarious. Yeah. Cause I, the, one of the other ones I listened to is Tremors, which, which, which probably the most like outrageous episode I've listened to so far because it's, yeah. there's nothing really scary about Tremors per se. Like there's some moments, but um, anyway, yeah, it, it, I've been, Tremors has been in my mind for like the well, past Well, yeah, you just hours. reposted yeah, our just, piece that I had totally forgotten that we wrote too. that. And, and yeah. Blake actually, who was, you know, Blake Goble on the site, he, he like had suggested, he was like, well, hey, the 30th anniversary, why don't you just repost this? Yeah. And, and oddly <laughs> enough, like the only thing I had to edit was the fact that like instead of the fifth movie coming out soon, oh no, the sixth movie, the seventh movie had already come out. Oh, so wow. like that's how many have already come out since then. But yeah, it was funny because I was reading it and I was like, oh yeah, like my whole, I, Tremors scared the fucking hell out of me. I didn't yeah. see it as a comedy when I was a kid. I, yeah, and me either. Like, honestly, like, when the couple are in that station wagon as a kid. It's terrifying. Me. Yeah. yeah. It's so scary. Uh, speaking speaking of scary, uh, The Ooh. Outsider was kind of scary. Let's talk about <laughs> <Great> that. <seg. laughs> Terrence Maitland, I'm arresting you for the murder of Frankie Peterson. For the what? I'm as baffled by this conflicting evidence as you are. His prints are all over the crime scene. The TV footage puts him 60 miles away. He can't have been in two places at once. You know me. I didn't kill that kid, Ralph. Do you see how strange this is? What would make someone do such a thing? He didn't do it. I have no tolerance for the unexplainable. Well then, sir, you'll have no tolerance for me. Answer me this. Do you think Terry Maitland killed that boy? If he didn't do it, someone else did. Someone else did. Someone else did. I didn't kill that boy, Ralph. Oh man, um, I've I've been using I've been saying that quote. So 
look, HBO has been going gung ho with promoting the show and for all the right reasons. Yeah. Um, and I had not seen uh, Watchmen, which is the other, uh, you know, big epic uh, series that they, you know, they had for in the fall. And so mm-hmm. I binge watched that uh, a couple weeks ago. But before every fucking episode, there was the trailer for The Outsider. Unfortunately, I'd already seen like the six episodes from this, the screeners for it. So nothing was really spoiled by seeing the trailer again and again and again. But that one line of Jason Bateman just being like, didn't kill that boy, Ralph. Um, or didn't kill that kid, Ralph. Like, I have literally yeah. said that line at least like a hundred times in the in the house, just at random intervals. Because it's just the way that Bateman has that cadence. It just mm-hmm. sticks with me. And it just, it's, it's, it's so, and I've seen that on Reddit. People have been putting it like randomly in like the Outsider uh, subreddit. Oh my God, which really? Which is really funny. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that's fun. But yeah. Well, let's talk about, uh, let's intro, like, I guess, like, what is our individual experiences with The Outsider? So, Mike, why don't you start? Like, had you read the book before you watched the series? So, we, The Outsider is one of the first books that we actually received an advanced copy for yeah. uh, doing the podcast. That was exciting. And it was very exciting. And I was actually planning on reading it. Um, but something happened that summer. So it was 2018. So that yep. was, it was probably the film festival. And I was like, no, my, my, uh, my hands are tied. And I didn't read it. Yeah. And Mel and I were the ones who read it for the pod. Yeah. And I believe uh, it was either you or Mel that said it would work better as a TV show. Mel said that, yeah. yeah. Which and is, she was right. And she, yeah. <laughs> well, seriously. well, spoiler alert. But I guess, uh, but, so you hadn't read it. And then you. I've not read it. So no. basically, the ep- Mike and I have watched the first six episodes of The Outsider. We won't spoil anything. We're just going to talk about the first three episodes and maybe hint at what's to come. And Jen, how many have you seen? I've seen the first three. Okay, cool. And what was your experience with the book? Have you read the book? I have read the book, yeah. When it came out, I got it, um, but I have been working on a chronological reread for about like seven years, um, and I was so close in the timeline that I just waited until I got to it, and so I ended up finishing it a couple of months ago. Nice. Oh, just in time for the show. (laughs) So were were you excited for the series based on your read? I was really excited. I loved the first half of the book and I really liked the second half. Yeah. Um, I think that's yeah. a that I think that's a that's that sums up a lot of Mel and I Mel and I's thoughts too. It takes mm-hmm. kind of a hard right turn because That's what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, I think the and no no spoil we're not going to spoil the ending of the outsider so don't worry about that. But um, no, please don't. Yeah. Yeah, we <laughs> yeah, cuz you don't even know, know it. Like, yeah. my girlfriend's reading right now. She's like I'm going to get to the ending before this show's over and I'm like, "No." Nice. So <laughs> So yeah, I think like uh I think it's it's interesting to consider that uh like the people who are making this. So and also the history of the book a little bit. I guess like cuz I was doing some research into, you know, King is a big true crime guy. Well, I I, I keep saying true crime. It's not true crime. It's crime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like yeah. it's just true crime. But it become, falls it, in that realm. I know. It's know. just become mm. such a thing now, like the phrase true crime because of all the podcasts yeah. and documentaries and everything. And it's like, no surprise that he pivoted into that around the same time that he's doing that. Well, too, I mean, you know? he wrote his first crime novel, um, which was The Colorado Kid in 2005. Yeah. And then he didn't write another. He's probably I, I'm probably missing a few shorts here and there, like more crime focused ones. But then he wrote Joyland, I believe, in 2013. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of, you know, similar to Colorado Kid, very pulpy. It was even released on uh, uh, a book. What's what I'm looking for, like a publisher that yeah. specializes in pulpy books and stories. And mm-hmm. and if you follow his Twitter account, you'll see he's always repping for crime authors. He yeah. loves like Don Winslow, uh, guys like that. He is always repping for these guys. Yeah. And you can tell that he's a little bit jealous, I think, of <laughs> their ability to write that stuff. And so I think, you know, he's a malleable writer. That's one of the things that we've posited on this show a million times is that, of course, obviously, he's much more than just a horror writer. And 
So I think he's always wanting to try out these new forms. And so he's been trying out, you know, in small doses, these crime things. And then he did the Mr. Mercedes trilogy. Yep. And those, but then those weren't really hard boiled. They were more soft boiled. And then they kind of um, had a true crime or what's what I'm looking for. Uh, like a supernatural element sort of so, interwoven. So even the Mr. Mercedes trilogy does have supernatural tendencies. To uh, it? Spoiler alert. Yes. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. I think All most right. people know that by now. Yeah. Uh, it's the first book doesn't. Yeah. Um, but later ones do. So like, um, end of watch. Or? Yeah, end of watch most mostly. Okay. And uh, what's that, Jen? I'm not sure if Finders Keepers does or not. I think that's. I don't think the supernatural stuff really picks. Uh, there are hints of it in there. Yeah. Yeah, I think it like I think the hints come like right at the end, you know, because mm-hmm. it's interesting. And so, and that's I I haven't watched the third season of Mr. Mercedes yet, but I believe that's because they did end of watch second season. Mm-hmm. Mm, uh, right. Because I think they had, you know, they can't just because Brady is not a major character in Finders Keepers, the mm-hmm. villain from the first season. So I think they mm-hmm. couldn't have um, what's his name, uh, Brandon Gleason, Harry Treadaway. Oh. Harry Treadaway. Yeah. I think they couldn't keep him around if he was just going to be in a hospital bed the whole time. So it's <laughs> right. uh, so it's yeah. interesting. But I've I've been enjoying yeah. Mr. Mercedes when I watch it. But yeah, so uh, you know, I think with. Uh, outsider that was like when he really tried to channel hard-boiled crime really forensic uh investigative driven kind of stuff you know like procedural kind of crime and because the, the the book is like written in like document form yes right? it like, begins like that a government way. like yeah you know dossier. it's written very much in like a formal style yeah. uh in terms of using various official documents and transcripts yeah. to help get you in that mode like cool. that you're pouring over documents and and case files and things like that and then it really becomes a Stephen King book you yeah. know like yeah. but that's not a that's not a bad thing I think Outsiders got a lot to love and I Mel and I both liked it I think when we when we talked about it uh but it is interesting and so in that way I think it's almost sort of a culmination of King's sort of you know I talked about this in my review for AV Club is like that like his dalliance with true with crime writing is he kind of went full-blown King mm-hmm. as well as like full-blown like hard-boiled and uh that's I think what's what's fun about The Outsider although it is jarring tonally which I think is also going to be the challenge for the series because I think the smart thing that they did and you know considering the turnaround it's amazing that they were able to secure this talent which was Richard Price Richard Price is the person is the showrunner and also has written I think almost every episode if not every episode yeah I mean there's a there's a couple episodes where it's credited to um, uh, Dennis Lehane actually oh nice uh, which is kind of crazy well there you go and so Dennis Lehane also and Richard Price these are not just crime authors these are like you know top of the line crime authors And, Uh, and I went through every single thing that Richard Price has written and none of them involves the supernatural. Right. I did that too. I was, I was very curious about that. And so Richard Price, obviously you probably know that name. He's been, uh, he wrote Clockers, which was a really famous novel, mm-hmm. made into a very famous movie. Uh, he's written a great book called Lush Life that I would highly recommend. Just a beautiful novel about, uh, you know, the dreams. It's like uh, like art, dreams, crime, New York, all these things. Yeah. And it's really good. And so then, I, I, I imagine most of his stuff are in, like is like New York based because yeah. cause he, like, he did like Sea of Love also with yep. Pacino, And that's like a huge like hard boiled. He also of, wrote Color of Money. Yeah. Uh, he's written a lot of you know, really classic movies uh, over the years. But then he pivoted to TV Mm -hmm. uh, with The Wire. Yeah. Yeah. So David Simon brought him in in the first season of The Wire. And Dennis Lehane also wrote on The Wire in later seasons. And because, I I mean, that was sort of David Simon's genius with The Wire was he only had, I think, one or two classic TV writers. Yeah. Because then he had journalists who wrote on the show. 
He had Ed Burns, his old collaborator, who was, uh, you know, cop turned teacher turned writer. And then he also had uh, all these crime authors like oh. George Pelakanos. And then um, I'm probably saying his name wrong or Pelakanos or Pelicanos, something. Think, and an yeah. uh, incredible writer. Yeah, it wasn't even like a, it wasn't like a Todd, uh, Tom McCarthy or Todd McCarthy, like a part of, or, you know, he, he acted acts, in, acts it. in this. Yeah. But he's, and then he goes and does Spotlight. Yeah. Um, and then he went crazy. Spotlight. Um, uh, but then, you know, Dennis Lehane, Richard Price and Richard Price was known. He kind of introduced Omar into mm-hmm. Like he was kind yeah. of the creator of Omar and he would always write the episodes where Omar was introduced every season. That was kind of his, his, uh, his, uh, trademark. And he also, he also cameoed in the second season. Uh, he plays the guy who leads a book club in D'Angelo's really? uh, prison. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I'm such a nerd. I've seen the wire like a hundred times. I, see, I have, I, in the second season is my favorite. So I, yeah. I, I totally remember that scene also. And so, uh, but then Richard Price went on, you know, obviously he took to it really well. Uh, and he worked on a couple other shows and, but I think he, and I, he, I know he worked on most of David Simon shows. I'm pretty sure he wrote some tra- Treme episodes. He wrote for the deuce. He wrote for the deuce. Mm-hmm. And then he also, uh, kind of stepped into the showrunner role with the night of, yeah. which was what? Eight episodes. It was uh, about eight episodes, 2015. Yeah. Um, really and- good. You know, proved a little polarizing at the end with some critics, yeah. even though I still thought it hit the landing really well. Yeah. Um, the the thing that's so interesting about having this dichotomy of Richard Price, who's never written anything in the supernatural, with Stephen King, who has, um, is that they're both being challenged in in ways that they've never really been in their lives. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, like King, maybe less, you know, because he's obviously written like some true crime stuff and definitely written some nonfiction stuff, but. What I get with this story particularly, and especially with this adaptation, is that, like, this might be the most challenging thing, like, Price has done. Because oh, yeah. there's such a delicate dance here. Right. And that's what you I really know. want to talk about. Yeah. But I think, like, uh, Jen, were you familiar with Richard Price at all? I was not. No, I was listening to everything you were saying. I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, so Night Of was uh, a story about... It was like about basically this guy who gets swept up in a murder trial and goes to I prison. Just the night of. Oh, you did watch it. Nice. Yeah, I so, just didn't realize it was him. But I was thinking Outsider feels a lot like the night of. Yes. And I have been referring to it as that. Um, but yeah, and I really liked the ending of that. I kind of liked the ambiguity of it. Mm hmm. And that I, I was a huge fan of the night of, and I, I, I was thinking a lot about the ways that it does dovetail with the outsider in yeah. terms of like, obviously the night of is, has no, you know, horror elements to it, but That's what well, Richard, traditional horror elements. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, but I think that he, uh, but what I think is interesting is, you know, they're both about crimes that sort of, that don't just impact, they're not crimes that exist within a vacuum. They're crimes mm-hmm. that spread out. Like mm-hmm. they have, like one thing topples one thing topples one thing. And I think that's what, you know, obviously The Wire was a very big proponent of that was, you know, all the pieces matter, which was yeah. kind of the, and I wrote that down in my notes for The Outsider because it's the same thing. It's it's mm-hmm. like, it's like, it's not just the murder. No. It's what it's, it's, it's the, the rippling of, effect. Yeah, it's the ripple effect yeah. of the murder. And that, to me, is what Richard Price can capture so well. I remember one of the things I love in The Night Of was, I believe uh, Riz Ahmed's character... T- that, like drives his dad's car yes. or, and then and, and then what happens to the dad yeah so then yeah. the dad can't access his car and he yeah. can't work which well, is honestly that's that and it goes back to you know like you're saying those, the, the wire is so big on that yeah. i mean because you really you never get to see the the collateral damage yep. of these procedurals i mean like when you look at law and order there's at least like 50 people per episode that are being fucked over yep. left and right and and, and like <laughs> and also the people that they're arresting probably are never going to prison yeah you know because that's the thing is like they're not going to go to trial for like a year yeah and then something 
something will happen by then, yep. you know, and that's just, it's the fucked up nature of the criminal justice system. And that's what Richard Price understands so well. Yeah. And so I think that it's, it, it was such an inspired choice to basically be like, like we can get a horror guy to head up. We can get Scott Gimple from the walking dead to head this up, you mm-hmm. know, or we can get Richard Price, yeah. uh, you know, to head this up. And obviously they had that relationship with him from the night of, they were probably searching for a project and, and they, then to couple it with like Bateman's company also yes. with so, Ozark. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, mm-hmm. Jen, Jen, have you seen Ozark? I have. Yeah. Well, I've seen the first season, but I was thinking also when I was watching, I was like, it feels so much like Ozark. Yeah. And that's what I think is interesting about The Outsiders is creatively there's a merging between uh, Price's universe and the the creative talent that uh, work on Ozark because Mm -hmm. the Andrew Bernstein who directs episodes three and four, I believe he was a he's a director and I think a producer on Ozark. And then obviously Bateman's involved and the guy who plays Jack, uh, Mark Menchaca, who is incredible. He's like one of my favorite character actors working right now. He is uh, he's I don't know, Jen, if you remember the guy with the big red beard in the first season of Ozark. Yeah, Uh, yeah, that's the same guy who he plays. Jack. I know I didn't recognize him either. I like was like, how do I know that guy? And then I was like, oh, shit, he's great, though. And he was my favorite part of Ozark. Uh, Mm -hmm. So. So, yeah, I think that that merging of talent, I think, was pretty inspired. But the question is that and this is, I guess, what I want to we're talking about the delicate balance. Right. And I think this is a good time to talk about that, which is is we in these first three episodes yeah because we can't talk about the the, the yeah we won't spoil anything later but it's like these first three episodes are really uh introducing us into this procedural crime world really gritty really dark cops lawyers killers things like that and then um uh but by the end of episode three like we're and we're getting hints of this of yeah. something odd is going on. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Jason Bateman's uh, Terry Maitland is uh, like is seen at two different places. Holly starts talking about doppelgangers. They're finding his clothes uh, in a barn and his fingerprints two. are degraded. Yeah. Like some of them are fresh. Some of them are old. Like they're like, well, it's it's Terry, but when he's 80 Mm -hmm. and they're the same DNA. And so they can't explain it. There's all this weird goo that's all over the clothes. And then we see Jack, who is basically this alcoholic cop who's kind of an asshole. Uh, He basically, something happens to him that causes a lot of boils and bumps on Mm -hmm. his neck. And he's clearly been attacked by something that doesn't seem human. So we're toying with the supernatural. And Mm -hmm. in these first three episodes... How do you guys think that balance is working? Jen, you want to kick that one off? Yeah, I think it's actually... So the first two episodes, I was shocked at how fast it went because that's like probably 200 pages of yep. the first half of the book, you know? Yeah. I was like, oh, Lord, what are they going to do with the rest of this? But then, like, it started to turn into more about the characters rather than the plotting. And it almost felt like they were setting up in the first two episodes. And I think the transition is happening really well. I'm mm-hmm. really invested, and I think I'm more excited to finish the show than I was to finish the book. Yeah, It's interesting because what I've noticed is – the the trajectory of the supernatural in this show almost works in the same way that we do as human beings uh, as we age. I mean, a lot of the supernatural presence comes from, you know, the darkness. We see it through the point of view of the children that, like, mm-hmm. you know, something's in the room, something has been in the room. Mm-hmm. And then it evolves into, you know, the adults that are having to kind of contend with this, like, sort of punctures in reality. And I, I, th- I think it was really smart to actually start 
kind of start a little bit more with the kids, at least with the, like the more explicit supernatural stuff that's there, because yeah. obviously you see the stuff that's in the footage. You see the, you know, the really jarring, terrifying stuff where, you know, the Bateman too. Yeah. Um, or, uh, <laughs> you know, Terry too is, you know, walking through the footage and he's like staring at it and oh, he's definitely self-aware. I love it. Some of the scariest things I've seen yeah. on, on television yeah. in a while. Um, but even then that stuff is still like of the earth, you know, yeah. like you still see like, all right, well that's a human being on the footage. Okay. It's obviously contextually there's something off about this but when it gets to the real supernatural stuff it's 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 at a distance it's at a um at a sort of cerebral level that that almost feels like um infantile like you know and a lot of it comes down to with the you know the kids you know terry's kids seeing something in the room and then also even just in the distance when like you you your mind kind of plays tricks with you you're like well, is that who is is that person staring at me? Yeah, you know, is that person w- aware of you know who I am and what, what the, actually is this happening on this show? And which is why I think like being able to start from that sort of like the you know it's funny the tit- it's all in the titular uh, it's 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 all in the title. It's this outside presence that just continues to keep coming closer and closer into mm-hmm. the actual story frame, and, and a lot of it is with that that hooded character. Yeah, you see this hooded character you know who that has there's a face. Something's fucking off. Yeah, that something's and off, and then you hear from Jessa Terry's daughter that um, she saw this figure four times, yep. and the first time it kind of looked like her dad. Yep. The second time it. Did it barely look like her dad, and then it started to look like something so else. You're getting these seeds, yeah. essentially, and it's the same. And again, I go back to like it's the same way that we kind of grapple with the this, the supernatural as, as humans, and we hear about it as kids, and then we kind of question it and question it and question it as we get older. Um, and you know, some of us become Ralph, and some of us become um, Holly. Uh, yeah, I guess Holly yeah. in a sense, but you know, <laughs> she even is able to question it sometimes. But um, I. So the, the the way that they've laid out the seeds is is so smart because while the story does move pretty swift in those first two episodes, mm-hmm. the the more like supernatural or cultish elements are sparsely you know laid out, and I think yeah. that's smart. And so by the time you actually get to the you know ectoplasm <laughs> in the barn, you're kind of on board. You mm-hmm. know, it's like almost like. The, the first two episodes were like the longest cold open of an X-Files episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And you're like, okay, yeah, I'm here on it. I can, I, I buy this now. Something's fucking weird. Yeah. Um, I do wonder though, for people who check in for more of a, because they're more Richard Price fans yeah. than they are Stephen King fans. Is it going to be, you know, will this transition, will the, cause like I'd say like the introduction of Holly sort of signals and what happens to Jack sort of signals like the pivot. Cause the first two episodes, you can take a few things away, like the hooded character and like clearly the daughter seeing something, but it could also just be like one of those crime cases where it's like, what is the answer? And like, that's what people love is that sense <laughs> of what is the practical yeah. fact-based like um evidence-based answer to this well and it's like the first season of true detective yeah i mean and that's why i brought it up in in uh my review for cos is because like you know what i loved about that first season that i was personally disappointed on is that they spend carrie fukunaga spends at least like 75 percent of that season leaning on the idea or hinting at the idea that there's something beyond just this you know killer yeah and you know you can kind of make what what you will with the ending when he sees like the swirling, you know, cyclone over um, the Yellow King's uh, base, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. And 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 kind of see like, well, what is reality, what's not? But like, it pretty much leans on the fact that like most of it was just more of like cerebral, um, you know, talk yeah. that he was having guff. And this is like 
literal. Like, yeah. they, no, there is something happening here. Yeah. And so I, th- there's there's that that I really do love um, mm-hmm. because I've been wanting that sort of mix. Yeah. Um, we're not going to obviously talk about the next three episodes, but right. I definitely think that the delicate dance that they have in these first three it gets a little crazier at some points, mm-hmm. um, you know, just as that, as a forewarning. But I think <laughs> in these three episodes um, right now, you really do like it's agreeable. Like, yeah. you know, and, and then you could still be the Ralph and be like, no, nah, it's bullshit. Yeah. But you could also mm-hmm. still be the Holly where you're actually doing like the legwork and you're like seeing that, OK, these things are starting to add up. And yeah. And it's and to... it's pointing towards an answer that is, you know, not one that ben mendelson's character would yeah. probably like yeah so yeah i guess like for me it's 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 going to be really interesting and i think jen and i as people who have read the book um we know you know like we said it's it's a stephen king book it really mm-hmm. is a stephen king book and so it's that threading that needle that's going to be my number one thing is a can they stick the landing because mm-hmm. the ending is you know very kingian and mm-hmm. and will they will price be able to stick that landing and will people want to go on that journey well, well here's another question and this is something that i don't know if we could really answer but like you know what is the landing is it going to be a limited series or is it going to be an actual first season because that's something that i keep thinking about left and right yeah. like because mm-hmm. they've you know they've said that this is a first season well, mm. well, did have they publicly said that? I, I mean, I've seen it like listed. I mean, like even when you like look up on um, on uh, on HBO, it'll say it on there. But they also did that with Watchmen, so you know. Well, I'll just say that I, in writing up The Outsider, yeah, I was asked by somebody who worked at HBO to remove the word limited yeah. from series uh, in one of my write-ups. So, I was kind of teeing you up for that story, to be honest. Yeah, with you, but. I don't want to say too much, but I think that that was an interesting tell that they might see. I don't, I think that they will finish the book, the outsider Mm -hmm. this season. Mm -hmm. Um, like, like Jen said, uh, it was 200 pages. in those first two episodes. They flew through it, you know? And so I do think that there is the possibility for more, but maybe we can talk about what that second season would look like in a moment. But I guess I also want to hear about, uh, I let's, I want to talk about Holly a little bit because I feel like Holly kind of shakes things up in a lot of ways. Yeah. And mm-hmm. as somebody who's read and you've you've read Mr. Mercedes as well, Jen? I have. Yeah, I've read the trilogy. Nice. So I would love to hear from you about how you think Book Holly compares to Cynthia Arrivo's Holly on this series cuz I think that, you know, they're definitely I don't think Mr. Mercedes exists in the canon of the outsider based on how they framed her upbringing in the show. So I'm curious uh, what you think about uh, how the character is presented here versus in the book. Well, I have liked Holly all through the Hodges trilogy and I liked her a lot in the outsider, but watching the show, this is the first time I've really loved her. Yeah. And I think she is just, she's bringing in just one episode that I've seen, she's really bringing this strength, and vulnerability to this part that I think is on the page, but I think it's really coming alive here. And mm-hmm. I just, it's amazing. Like I, she almost made me cry a couple of times in that third episode where just when her, with her hand on the bar and she was yep. just breathing, it's like, Oh, and when she called him and said, I just need to hear a voice who's on my side, mm-hmm. but she doesn't let her guard down. Like you just see this strong woman who advocates for what she needs. And I love that. And I don't think that really comes out fully in the books, in any of the four books, you know? Yeah. I actually completely agree with that. I, I'm very taken with her performance Mm -hmm. and 
for me, it's it's because she really downplays the quirky qualities yeah. and internalizes them into a way where they're part of the fabric of her character rather than things that make her odd. Like uh-huh. her, her oddness is something that is so baked into the performance. Like, and, and, and like you said, the vulnerability is really there and there is this sort of like strength, but also this like scared bunny quality to mm-hmm. uh, her performance that I think is is really appealing. And also, uh, I think it's sort of her matter of fact deliveries as well. Like yeah. there's, there's nothing sort of, there's nothing like precious mm-hmm. about, whereas I, I feel like the character can read as a bit precious on the page. Mm-hmm. I think Very that- affected. Yeah. yeah, there's nothing precious about the delivery and the way that she's doing this character. So for you, you've heard about Holly from the yeah. discussions we've had in the pod, but what did you think about her in the series? So when I, you know, when we first get to see, you know, the episode three, it, it's a little jarring um, just because there's a stoicism to her that um, works in juxtaposition to um, everyone else that we've just been watching in like the first two episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, and there is a stoicism to, you know, to Ralph and Ben Mendelsohn's uh, performance, but it's a little, it comes from a sense of like, you know, grief, mm-hmm. um, you know, cause that's another uh, difference that's here is that, you know, his son is dead in this and he's gotten this, like, there's a, there's a little more depth to that. And I, and I can, can see it. So when you first meet Holly, it's very like, it, it, it almost feels, um, like a different show at first just mm-hmm. because it is yeah. i mean it's a to- she's an outside influence at this point mm-hmm. and um you could say she's an outsider she is an outsider <laughs> yeah yeah right there are many outsiders in this um uh, <laughs> let's just keep tagging that to everyone in this show um but so you know that that in that first episode with her it, it did it did take a little warming up um like early on for me just because it was like I was just so used to like the remedial cop. Yeah. You know, and well, there's not much quirk to anyone else. No. On the series. No, it's and then you've got her and she's like, I can, I know the lyrics to every rock song, yeah. but I hate music. And yeah. And it's like, that type of stuff. That, yeah. That, that was and that's like, like, I think the closest it came to being precious because mm-hmm. then I'm just kind of like, I don't know if I believe this character. Yeah. But then mm-hmm. you, you know, I think that she, do, she does ease you into the character yeah. as you go. So. By the end of episode three, I'm totally on board by, by four might be her like um four or five is like where she really just kind of takes control and yeah it, and that by then you're like wow okay i could kind of see them just i could see why king um is attracted to this character and continues to bring you know him back on yeah but i but they, then again i've never read anything with holly in it so. well i think he's very into the idea like all crime authors have their characters that they mm-hmm. have their books you know like yeah. a holly gibney book you know like and Sherlock they'll revisit or, you know. and tell these procedural stories with i think he's very taken with the idea of having his own one of those mm-hmm. and, and holly is that for him and so well, our season two you know yeah Exactly. That's what I was kind of thinking was, you know, if they do want to do another season, is it going to be the continuing continuing adventures of Holly Gibney? But Chronicles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's I'm like Cynthia just got nominated for an Oscar. So, so does she want to stick around for a TV show, even if it's on HBO? You know, I know. And and, and then what's just so great is that, like, there's a there's a lot of nuance to the performance and just the way that she's it's a very physical performance. Yeah. Um, because like every little, uh, you know, like every shrug every um um stare mm-hmm. that she gives to a lot of the characters i really love um god it's i can't remember if this is in the third episode or not and i don't want to spoil it but there's a, <laughs> a, a a connection that she has to a certain character on the case yes um that i just love yeah. so much because it's so it's not explicit at all mm-hmm. it's very implicit and there's a lot of inferences in that relationship and 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 what they what they get from each other yeah and it think that 
that bond speaks to her performance and just how much she's able to kind of instill in every scene with just the, the lightest little of, of, you know, affection or inflections that she puts on it. So, and it, that is absolutely a, a testament to Oribo, like, because, yeah. you know, that you're not, there's nothing script, you know, there's nothing scripted about that, mm-hmm. you know? So, well, it's interesting because, you know, she does bring in a lot of new, what's what I'm looking for elements to like texture to the story. And that I think, you know, I think that people, if you do, if you did feel a little bit, maybe put off by her presence in the third episode, because, you know, it's those first two episodes are so grim, Mm -hmm. you know, they're so dark. Like my wife walked in, she was just watching little bits of it. She's like, this shit is unrelentingly grim. Cause she, (laughs) and so because you've literally got, you know, Bateman just getting like you meet him he's a nice dad and then he is just drugged through hell like these these two episodes are then fucking shot like unceremoniously so here's the question i had a question on that so um and i had uh, my my girlfriend's reading right now and she says that in the book it's pretty explicit that he's dead yeah and in the show they're very mercurial about it like they're it's all like you know they're holding his wound and then it cuts yeah and then they don't mention anything until i think it's when he's talking to um was a district attorney yeah and he's mm-hmm. like all right well, we've got to deal with this you know like the you know the maitland family is going to have their fucking hands you know or, you know our heads on a you know a plate or something like that but um yeah. it, it's very interesting how subtle um they don't really i mean you don't really see him in the autopsy room you don't mm-hmm. really see his you know i mean eventually you know they have to deal with like maybe uh, bateman could only film so many scenes yeah right <laughs> Yeah. Like I'm not just gonna sit around in an autopsy table for you guys. Right. Like, I gotta go film Ozark. We were watching the first, the third episode, and my husband looked at me. He was like, "Wait, he's dead?" Yeah. And he had, just had not picked up that he had died. Yeah, that's how it was for me. Well, I, I think I was... it's really shocking for people because they probably think Bateman's gonna be one of the leads. Mm-hmm. Right. And, but that's you know when I read the book, I thought Terry was gonna be one of the leads, and then yeah. when he dies, it's a shock, you know. But I think that is what sort of, um, you know, propels Ralph, and I think also by giving him making his son dead it it adds to the darkness and the the grimness of of like yeah. the whole thing but i like the choice because i think it does motivate him a little bit more and i do like those moments where you see uh you know the grief that he went through yeah. uh you know, in the wake of, of his son dying, you see him, you know, fighting at a bar. He talks about him and his wife almost splitting. I think that there's, um, I think that stylistically, one of the things that I've enjoyed about, I think the way, I think stylistically, direction-wise, because Bateman directed the first two episodes. Yeah, which and is then, funny because he stars in those and then he dies. It's like, why didn't you just wait until you're dead so you don't have to do double duty? But well, whatever. that was probably his, his because I think he probably wanted to set the visual palette for the show, you know? And, um uh, and that's what you get to do when you direct the pilot. Yeah. You know, it's like maybe he had maybe hey, maybe there's two Baymans, um, <laughs> <laughs> like in real life. Um, uh, but I think that I think one of the things I've enjoyed though is I feel like they've they've leavened the the grief and the grimness mm-hmm. of it by kind of twofold, and one of them is stylistically. I think that it helps that they focus so much on the procedural aspects because yeah. I think that gives people that law and order fuzziness that, you know, is that comfort food that you get from that kind of show. So you're able, they never linger too long on sort of the the massive, you know, like you got the, the, the Peterson family just yeah. self-destructing yeah. left and right and screaming. But what they do, I think, is, is whenever there are those moments of intense grief sobbing screaming crying all that uh or fighting it's like they usually drop out the volume and they let the soundtrack kind of do the Mm -hmm. heavy lifting and i think that i always think that's a smart move because sometimes um 
when you're depicting grief, you don't want to be reductive and not show the extent of it, but also nobody really wants to watch people scream for right. an extended period of time. And I think that that's something that uh, when you're dealing with grief, it's often best to work in silence, well, I think. And there's also some really great um, details in these first few episodes that kind of just show just how dour a lot of things are. Like even when, you know, like Mara Winningham, uh, who's, uh, you know, Ben Mendelsohn's uh, wife yep. in, the, in the show. She's so great in this too, because like everyone, everyone nails their nuances in this show mm-hmm. uh, for the most part. Um, but it's like the little things like if with them, it's like, you know, them coming to this, this house where they don't turn on any lights, even though it's getting dark outside and they're talking about like, Oh, well, won't we just do carry out or, you know, take yeah. out or whatever. And there's just like this sort of like, they're just living to live. Yeah. And, and like the, the, that, that sort of, the, those little subtleties, like, are all throughout this like these these first few episodes and I love it so much because it really just uh, speaks to you know Price's genius as a writer um but it also what you're saying like it gives you that sense of grief like without having to say like our kids dead yeah, you know yeah. and like having to show so many like you know scenes of Ben Mendelsohn getting in fights in the bar because like all we need is that one little just scene that one, and that's yeah. it and like you know and when he and, does visit the grave it's not to sob over it no. it's just like I wish I could tell you about my week you know yeah and those moments are really powerful it's their day-to-day yeah you know what do you guys think about Ben Mendelsohn's performance I think this is his best performance yet nice yeah, I, I really do it's amazing his eyes are just so warm yeah. you know and I was saying I kept mixing him and Jack up for a little bit because I think they could like, especially working in the same office, like kind of even though their characters are polar opposites, there's just this warmth he has in his eyes. And when his face falls, you still you feel the emotion in his eyes, even though he's not really doing anything else. Mm-hmm. And I think that really sells his character. And I think like what you're talking about, about the subtle details, that's something that King does very well. Yeah. And he is able to really make you feel like you're living in the house with this family who's lost this child. And I think lots of adaptations fail um, because they just can't get those nuances down mm-hmm. and because King writes a lot of it inside the heads of his characters. And I think the subtle shift of having Derek dead and not just away, I think gives us kind of an entryway into that without having to like explain why he feels the way he does, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 it's, it's definitely a great addendum to this. Like it's when I found out that, he's not actually dead in the book. I was like, well, wait, mm. what is the character even like then? Yeah. Because he's just, it's such a totally different. I'll character. say this. Yeah. Like when I read the book, Ralph didn't make much of an impact on me. Yeah. Uh, me- yeah. But I think in this series, you, Mendelssohn's performance is like filled with depth and then you give him just a little bit more character. And also, I mean, the, I'd say the, the, the relationship with his wife is well drawn mm-hmm. uh, in the book. Mm-hmm. And I think just, that's probably one of the better aspects of the book, but here it's, that is just one of many really great. And, and, and it, yeah. it explains so much. Like it explains why he would be um, somewhat contemptuous to, you know, when his wife is actually experiencing some of the things and, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, and because he's, he, the way he's dealt with grief is by leaning more on pragmatism, you know, mm-hmm. like, or he's, he's far more pragmatic because he's, you know, he's experienced the grief of losing someone. So he knows that like, you know, there's, there's this like kind of sense of this like lack of um, like hope, you know, mm-hmm. and like when you have mm-hmm. that sort of lack of hope, it's almost like the, the narrative for Mel Gibson in Signs, um, <laughs> where like you know he loses his wife, so he like loses his belief in God, and I think that like the sense that he lost that that you know his child also explains it's like no fuck there, there is nothing out there like you know this this, this is I'm not gonna go and see, there is an answer to everything you know, which is why I I understand 
why there's a little bit more of a foundation to him and why he's not going to, you know, lean immediately to try to go like, oh, yeah, no, I believe everything. Like he's yeah. there's going to be some sort of fight there. Um, yeah. And that grief informs that fight in a way that I just can't see of being like, oh, my kids at summer camp. I, you know, I, I miss them. Hello, this is Jason, co-host of the All 80s Movies Podcast, with a message from Factor Meals. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer, thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you will always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Um, <laughs> I love seeing that he's going to therapy too. Like I think yeah. in three episodes, we've seen two therapy sessions with him and they were both like, why, like varying to different degrees. And like, I think that's some, we don't see a lot of men do that on TV. Yeah. And I appreciate that we're seeing that, especially like, I go to a lot of therapy and it's really helpful and I appreciate seeing a person struggle with that and struggle with what to open up about and when and that that I think led us into his character a lot too because we're starting to see his walls come down just a little bit but just enough to know where they are you know yeah yeah and 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 honestly like there's there's a, there's like this interesting um kind of arc that he has even with the way he like um, speaks with like those in his um, department. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like, he's almost like everyone almost like keeps him at uh, an arm's length because of his history. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that also kind of helps too. Like, um, like he's technically not even on this case. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and it's, but everyone's okay with the fact that like he's, he is actually just coming back. Like, yeah. like it's like, well, all right, he has his own sort of ways to process things. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean the the depth of characters to this show is 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 what's really keeping me hooked. Um, mm-hmm. Even beyond just the mystery of what the hell this all means and what this hell this all you know is going to lead to, um, which is honestly like what I loved about the night of. Yeah, you know, like I wasn't tuning in just for the sake of like, oh, is he going to get? Is he guilty or is he not guilty? Like yeah. I didn't really care. Right. I almost just wanted to see like how these characters are going to evolve like where are they going to go next and he's so good at doing that well in terms of horror too it's like jen you mentioned earlier about how it's not you know with price it's not traditional horror but it's still very scary Mm -hmm. and i think that we see that here too like i would say some of the scariest moments for me is like the end of the first episode i believe when bateman's in prison and that uh, guy across the cell is like basically we're gonna kill you (laughs) like whispering yeah like that shit is so and like even just the prison intake scenes with terry is uh and then just the ways that they treat him because they think he's a kid killer and all these things that to me is so scary and also the idea of of uh glor of gloria i think her name's gloria uh his wa- gloria like his wife 
the fact that they're becoming pariahs yep. in, the, in the neighborhood <laughs> because they're affiliated with him. Well, that's know? the most unnerving aspect of the entire series for me so far, and yeah. even going beyond episode three, because, uh, spoiler alert, but, uh, you know, society doesn't <laughs> come around so fast. Um, yeah. And that's kind of really scary, especially in an age where, and not to get all like on a soapbox and everything, um, where there is no gray area for people like it's black or white. Like the minute that you are tagged, like you're stuck with that. Forever. Well, that's why and him like, arresting him at the baseball game is such a big deal. Yeah. He could have mm-hmm. done it quietly, yep. but he's so angry. And that's a big part in the book too. Yeah. And something that I think is really powerful is that he's so mad and the evidence is so clear. The mm-hmm. forensic evidence is so clear that he's like, well, he clearly did it. Let's right. humiliate him in front of the whole town. And then, and, we'll, you know, it'll help in the case. Yeah. yeah. And that is like, and then I love that moment when Jason Bateman says to him in the car, he's like, you just ruined my life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. So understated too. Mm-hmm. Just the weight of it. Yeah. Yeah. And the feeling of powerlessness. And that was something that I really, I was getting so angry when I was reading the book and I was starting to feel that. Um, it was like the first episode is like a ticking clock to when he gets arrested at the baseball game. And if you know, that's what's going to happen. It's like, and the arraignment, I was like, oh, don't do it. I don't do it. I know. And I knew it was going to happen, but I was just begging these characters to make different choices because <laughs> like just the the tiniest little decisions that you make, really the ramifications to everyone in the situation are just like life changing. I mean, and, and honestly, you see it. And I mean, I, I don't know if I'm, I know you definitely didn't watch this documentary, but um, you know, it's like the don't mess with cats. Oh, I can't like, watch it. Yeah, there's no way you can mess with it. There's no way. I knew it. But I love like, my kitty too what, much. They, they talk about that in the in, in this doc, though. Like, it's just that, like, you know, the minute that you are, you know, put in this light, like, you are there forever. Yeah. And this is why, honestly, like, it led to at one point in the documentary, um, which deals with um, this total sociopath that was got really too into uh, American Psycho. Um, he ended up killing all these cats. And, hey. you know, some joke. Uh, some guy online joked and said, Oh, it was me. But then he was like, no, it actually wasn't me. But the fact is, is like, Nope, you got, you already had everyone throwing stones at you. Oh, it's, God. That's going to stay with you forever. And he ended up killing himself because he was like, nobody, nobody would believe me. And spoiler alert. And like, yeah, spoiler for, <laughs> for, for like a 10 year old true crime uh, story. But like it was, but it made me think like, you know, yeah. Like even if they, even if Maitland wasn't shot outside the courthouse and mm-hmm. you know, they do go through this. Like, oh, his life no, is his, over. It's over. It yeah. is over. Right. And, and especially in a small town like this yep. and King is so adamant on talking about that. I mean, he talks about needful things like, you know, the, the, the town's talk yep. and things yeah. stick with you. And that's where I think the, you really see the overlap between price and uh, King, because mm-hmm. one of the things King emphasizes in the book is, is the ripple effect of the yeah. crime. And that's what price is so good at. Yep. And so I think that's where like, it was so inspired to bring them together because price is so good at building out the world of a crime yeah. and like, and the ways that it spreads its tendrils. And I think that that question moving forward, because Mike and I have not seen every episode. Like we don't know how it, Only I mean, six. Yeah. We're, we're excited to see where it goes but it's like will he be able because i went through his his imdb too and his books and i was like did he ever like really dip into supernatural and, and he never did it's and not so, even remotely like hinted like, yeah and especially like since cerebral it's, drama if it's him and lahane that are mainly working on this lahane's also not a supernatural yeah. guy so it'll be interesting to see how they do it and uh but they did bring on karen kusama who directs a later episode yeah. uh the director of uh, jennifer's body and the invitation what else has she done uh she did a girl fight Oh, girl fight. Yeah. 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 So she's not like primarily horror, but she does horror well. Well, it's so. interesting too is that. So, oh, and Destroyer too. So there's there's only one other writer that's on there, and it's uh, Jesse Nixon Lopez. And I want to say, I can't remember if the 
I'm not going to spoil anything, but there is a scene that gets into, I keep saying it's it chapter two territory. Yeah. Um, and it involves a certain character and um, it's very Kingian, but I can't remember if it was in the sixth episode or the fifth episode. It was in the sixth episode. Okay. So it's, so then that, that episode was written by Dennis Lehane. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, so yeah, um, I think, I think like once we get to, and we'll, we'll do an episode revisiting after the finale and probably talk about the latter part. Yeah. And uh, Jen, maybe you could join us for that. And yeah. Um, yeah and we'll, we'll talk about, how these supernatural elements really fit in and if 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 price and these guys were these crime guys were able to you know sort of really land on that any final thoughts on the outsider um hey uh one, one more thing is this isn't an episode of losers club if i don't take us to hawkins indiana small town <laughs> uh because guess what jesse nixon lopez is an executive story editor on Stranger Things. Oh, nice. So, Interesting. You know, hey, um, bringing some of that small town charm to uh, The Outsider. Also. I'm into it. Yeah, what if Steve s- Harrington yeah, shows up? Yeah, what if he pops up? Crossover. I didn't, I, I didn't kill the... <laughs> I didn't kill Dustin. <laughs> Ralph. Uh, uh, he's in his Scoops Ahoy uniform when oh they ran him. Um, anyway, yeah. Uh, Jen, how would you compare The Outsider to the last... Because we're in the midst of this Stephen King renaissance. like, uh, And, you know, obviously... I think some of the adaptations we've gotten over the last some years, a few years, some are good, some aren't. Yeah. Uh, where would you sort of place the outsider, uh, you know, in near the top or the bottom of, of these new crop of King stories coming out? I think I would probably place it very, very close to the top. Yeah. Um, I think especially for TV. I loved the first season of Castle Rock um, and I loved Dr. Sleep and I loved Gerald's game. But I feel like this one, they just... I think they get what makes the story a King story, mm-hmm. but they're presenting it in a way that's true to the difference from him too. And I think it's just so compelling and the quality and the writing, it's so well done. I would put it way up at the top. Yeah. And, I, and on that note, because they're getting at what the Sting, Stephen King story is, do you, would, now since you both have read it and you've both read a lot of his true crime stuff too, would you say that having Price involved actually elevates king's true crime muscle yes 100 which is in a way that he can mm-hmm. yeah like yeah. I, yeah. I i wrote in my review it's like nobody's turning to king for his crime novels no, like no. I, right. I mean like they, they re- you read king for horror or you love king and you read everything he writes yeah. you know there's not people who just say i get my crime fix from stephen king yeah. you know so right. i think but a lot of people would say i do get my crime fix from richard price you know yeah. and so i think bringing him on bringing lahane on really sort of gives a credibility yeah. to the procedural aspects and the investigative aspects that is there in King's book, but it goes deeper. And like, and it's the culture of, of the prison of the courthouse of the, all of that stuff. That's like the stuff that price is so intimately familiar with. And he can add that. He can give that weight. He can bring that horror, which is a very real life horror. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, and they film it in the same way. Like, I kind of love that slow. Yeah. Like dread inducing, uh, like he films the the horror elements of the show very, or at least they, you know, they film the horror elements of the show very similar that they do to the uh, real life kind of terror, which is, you know, that scene in the prison, it's like that dark cell Mm -hmm. and you're just hearing the voice for a while saying like, I'm going to kill you or whatever. And and honestly, the pilot for the night of pilot, the first episode of the the night of is very similar to the first episode here. Like you could probably play them side by side and see a lot of the similarities in terms of just pacing and pacing and the the sort of nihilistic um uh sensibilities that come from knowing your life is over <laughs> and just like well uh, uh all right all bets are off at this yeah. point like and know. that might be why it rubs some people the wrong way i i 
I was surprised that there were a couple like not just bad reviews, but like aggressively bad yeah, reviews. Yeah, I, I was um, really shocked by that. I was, but I think that you know, I think some people think it's boring, mm-hmm. but. Uh, for me personally, I like that. I like the pace. I'm invested in the characters and uh, it works for me. So it's that. Yeah. So I reject that hypothesis. I, 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 <laughs> is that a, is that an Adam Sandler quote from no, uh, that's, Uncut Gems? No, uh, that, <laughs> I disagree. Uh, <laughs> I love it. No. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I would also put it near the top. This has been my favorite and I'm, I'm glad that we like it because I feel like we've yeah. on this pod. We've we've. You know, maybe a, a couple times come across as negative Nancy's, but what if I just came out right now? It's like actually, I think it's shit. <laughs> what? No, I just spent forty minutes. It feels good to to really love something. We like yeah. we like Doctor Sleep a lot. I like Doctor Sleep yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah. Although but I, even that turned out to be polarizing too, with a lot of people that were diehard like um, fans of the book, which is yeah. crazy to me. Yeah. Um, and so, but I think last year it was kind of an up and down year in terms uh, of King adaptations, mostly down. And I think so, mostly down. Yeah, honestly. and so I think it's good to kick off twenty twenty with this uh and you know it bodes well hopefully i mean we just got some bad news about the dark tower that we're going to talk about next week uh about that series um visit our socials if you don't hear haven't heard that news but then you know we've got the stand coming out this year which is going to be huge and then we've got uh lycy story also coming out which i think is more likely to be on par with this i'm hoping so i mean great talent on it so it's and you know i didn't realize pablo lorraine who directed jackie is that's amazing yeah no everyone it's the same type of thing where it's like the the talent behind the camera and in front of the camera is yeah is up the uh, i'll be quality. curious to because king's writing all the episodes and i'll be curious how that pans out because his <laughs> his scripts are are <laughs> you know not always the best hey hey uh pet cemetery the original one was still great, i agree so. we're we're are you a pet cemetery fan john the original film yeah i am yeah mm-hmm. we are too we're like yeah, I've, i almost feel like I almost feel like I'm an apologist for it because I feel like we love it on the pod, yeah. but I feel like everyone I meet in the real world like thinks it's so dumb. I know. And I'm just like I was kind of shocked. And about I say that. I disagree. I got to say, you got to know what you're getting into. You know, I mean, it's not perfect, but right. it's just got to love it. You know. Yeah. I, I would I would go so far as to argue that that the the original Pet Cemetery captures the small time vibe of Stephen King better than any other movies I've seen. Bold I, statement. I, I really do. Like it just in <laughs> a lot of it it's because it actually is filmed in Maine. Yeah. And that mm-hmm. so much of it was was made out of love with the community because I mean you watch that documentary it's on Shutter I believe right now it's like Unearthed or something like that. Oh yeah, yeah, we watched and, that. And it, and what's great about watching that is that you get the you get the sense that like Maine understood what makes the world of Stephen King, but also knew what the stuff of Maine to put on the, on the screen. And, you know, and I, I don't know, I, I love it. I, th- that's one of the reasons why I love that movie so much. Cause it just, it, it feels like what I'm reading on the pages right. in my head. But anyway, we don't have to go down that road. Um, uh, you could go back and listen to our pet cemetery, our yeah. three pet cemetery episodes, three which episodes. some, some of you, uh, when you were voting on our little quiz recently, said you liked a lot and uh, maybe the favorite episodes. We have four episodes, technically, if you know, five if you really include the remake stuff from last year. Oh, but, yeah. You know, or and we also interviewed Mary Lambert. Yes, we did. Which yeah. was awesome. That was a fun interview. So, yeah. very cool. Anyways, little sidebar. Go yeah. listen to our Pet Cemetery <laughs> shit. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks so much. Uh, Jen, did you want to stick around for our Castle Rock chat? Sure. Okay, cool. Jen's going to stick around. She's going to stick around. <laughs> hey, we're, let's go from, uh, we were just in Ludlow, uh, seeing the good old Creed family, a bunch of zombies walking around, uh, depending on what reimagining you want to go for. And um, let's go to Castle Rock. Yeah, let's go to Castle Rock. We're searchers, you and me. But you deserve a chance to make a place in the world. 
See, I'm a searcher who just wants to settle. Wants it bad. Just can't seem to find that place that'll live up to you, my perfection. Here we are in Castle Rock. Uh, I'm wearing football gear to protect myself from all of the uh, hatred from from all the people who want to beat me up for not liking Castle Rock season two. I'm in the back of uh, Glorium Emporium because uh, there happens to be um, some, you know, uh, haunted, possessed people that are trying to kill me. (laughs) And um, Annie Wilkes has a shotgun. And um, so let's let's go back. And and. Jen, you've seen the first two episodes of the second season? I have seen the first two. So I'm standing in the Stargazer parking lot wondering what the hell is going on here. <laughs> all right, so but here's the thing. You said, all right, this is what you, you, uh, you uh, sent me in, uh, on Twitter today. I was like, I just watched the first two episodes. That was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah, could you share your thoughts on the first two episodes? You know, I'm interested to see uh, where you're at on that. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so the first episode, I was really into it. And I liked um, I love Lizzie Kaplan and I love um, Tim Robbins. And I was like, OK, how can we lose? And I love Ace Merrill. So I was like, OK, this is going to be great. And then it just was like it turned it almost felt like Stephen King Easter egg porn at a point. Like mm. somebody said um, <laughs> the the line, like, you better be asleep or dead. I shit you not. And I was like, yay, they said the line. And then I was like, oh, wait, but they're telling a story. And I was just thinking, what is going on? Because it feels like seven different stories. Mm-hmm. Yep. I love the story they're telling with Annie, but I wish she weren't Annie. Yes. Yeah. You know? <laughs> That's literally <laughs> like echoing all of our things. Yeah, this is exactly all the stuff that we were saying. I think, you know? I, think uh, I remember feeling the similar, but after I watched the first two episodes, I remember texting our text thread and saying something like, like, I feel like I'm on drugs. I I have no idea what this show is doing. Yeah. It is, mm-hmm. but I think at this point maybe I love it. And I said that because uh-huh. I was like, it seems like it's going full crazy. And yeah. like because uh-huh. I struggle, you know. I think just to clear, like we struggled because for me, and I, you know, and this is where I got a little annoyed by some people, like some of the the the, the people who really like the show, is this whole concept of. Of uh, yeah, you know, it's not like it, I don't care that it doesn't adhere to the book canon. Like I don't care that um, huh. it really fucks with the history of Annie and Ace Merrill and Pop Merrill yeah. and the whole history of Castle Rock. They're like, I don't care. And to me, I wish I could be that carefree. Exactly. But I am like, no, it like Ace Merrill has a, an entire rich, interesting history in mm-hmm. the world of Castle Rock. Pop Merrill has a fascinating interesting rich history of castle rock the glorium emporium doesn't even exist <laughs> technically uh because you know with- well oh because well that's the whole thing is is <laughs> like in the this- world of castle rock season two needful things didn't happen no. and the the sundog <laughs> didn't happen and but maybe it did but like- the thing is they make all these references yes. to it so mm-hmm. that really that's when we say easter egg porn that's what this is. Yeah. And mm-hmm. where, and then you name a character Ace Merrill, but aside from him being kind of a shit kicker asshole, he shares nothing no. in common with Ace Merrill. And mm-hmm. like they did a little bit more with Pop. And I think a lot of that maybe had to do with Tim Robbins because he's so great. And I love Paul Sparks as an actor too, but they just gave nothing no. to him as it Ace. It should have been Garrett. Hedlund I think. And then around. I think with Annie, it was complicated because. It was so unclear to us uh, 
like had she already had this experience with Paul, like Paul Sheldon, mm-hmm. uh, because they hinted they had that in the first episode. There's that moment with the wheelchair, mm-hmm. and then uh. you, yeah, and then you have like her seeing this spirit and these typewriter sounds, yep. and it's mm-hmm. like okay, so that's. Paul, right? And then it ends up not being Paul. But they're and preying upon that twist exactly. by you thinking that it is Paul. Yes. Which makes no fucking sense. In, and this in, is where in, I struggle because then it sets it. Okay. Are you guys. This is. We're talking about the ending now. Uh, okay. Well, so <laughs> is that okay? Yeah, I'm good. Okay. Like it sets up at the end. It ends with her at a reading for Paul Sheldon. Which is just. So it's like, <laughs> oh, okay. Um, Jackie Torrance all oh, over again. Premonition. <laughs> yeah. So, but it's like, well, no, there's because, this, no, well, there's but, this whole backstory that yeah. they give her, where mm. her dad was an aspiring writer, and mm. like she was his biggest fan and everything. But then he got remarried, uh, or he married like her, like her at-home teacher, mm-hmm. and then she Had lost baby, him, and then, and then like, but then mm. suddenly, suddenly her dad's impaled on, yeah, <laughs> on a. <laughs> On the stairway, like railing or whatever, because he trips and like after she's running down the stairs, it's or insane. It's ridiculous, and it's it's really it's really Ryan bad. Murphy level insanity. Like it's it's hard to unpack all this. It's just basically like this is a show. This season wanted, like whereas, and you said you loved the first season. We were fans too. We struggled with the ending, but overall, we liked the first season yeah. because we. And I would say the reason that I argue for the first season and say that it's solid was it wasn't an Easter egg factory. No, the only mm-hmm. Easter egg factory there was was Jackie Torrance, which was dumb, and Just that was dumb. the worst part of the and, season. And clearly, and I still argue to this is that I'm sure the the suits Hulu saw that and like. More of that. Yeah. And less of you Whereas, know, these new characters. Because like you bring in Pangborn and yeah, like we didn't hear a lot about Polly Chalmers or anything, uh, which but at the same time that's fine because yeah. we didn't need that and it's been many years and but the mm. Pangborn that existed in Castle Rock season one, even if he didn't embody every aspect of Pangborn in King's books, he still felt like he was part of the world and had been through what Pangborn had been through. And they were working within the pages. Yes. And that was my biggest thing was that like, you know, you're going to go and create a show called Castle Rock. Like, and if you want to take the names and the bold, you know, things and whatever and go with it and do your own thing, like maybe do that from the get go. But that first season is pretty goddamn beholden to what King already set out. Well, yeah, I mean, you see the, you literally see like in the first episode, all the the headlines and newspaper clippings of like the past books, mm-hmm. as if to say, this lore is here. Yeah, and this, we're going to be respectful. This of happened, it. And, and the only character they brought in from you know the canon was Alan Pangborn. Like yeah, I said, which makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. And also, he felt of the world. He felt of the books, but he also felt like a new character within the show. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then they also all the other characters they played with the archetypes that King likes to play with. Yep. Uh, the mm-hmm. town felt real. You yeah. know, the ca- town felt like the town. It felt like a Stephen King story in so many ways. Uh, and that's what I think really worked. It wasn't, there were Easter eggs, sure, but they were small. They weren't uh, shoved in your face. It wasn't, an, you know, Jackie Torrance was, was the prime offender. And, but then season two just felt like, okay, we want a character named Annie Wilkes and we want Lizzie, who Lizzie's great. I love her. Uh, but we want her to do a Kathy Bates, you know, uh, I think she finds a lot of nuance within the impersonation, but it is an impersonation. And, uh, she, you know, we want to have like that name recognition. And then, yeah, you can throw in Ace Merrill, you can throw in Pot Merrill, like throw these in, but they, 
they're so unmoored from what made them those characters. So mm-hmm. why do you why do they have to be called that? Like you said, Jen, why does she have to be Annie Wilkes? Right. right. Yeah. That never story yeah. in misery is one of my favorite parts of the book. Yeah. And the way that that unfolds through the memory book, like memory lane, I think I love that. And I'm not one to like you were saying, like, I don't get all twisted in knots when they change the canon. But that that part, like, I love that part. Mm-hmm. And, and to then, like yeah. kind of kick it just to like be able to say the name Annie Wilkes and show an axe on your poster just <laughs> feels cheap well it's bizarre too because then later in the season uh she has moments where she ties the guy to a bed Mm -hmm. and it's just well well joy ties her to a bed in one episode and then later she ties a guy to a bed and holds an or like a sledgehammer in her hand and then has a knife a butcher knife at one point and just and then we're supposed to be cheering for that like we're like like, oh yeah she's killing these bad guys are are so like tongue-in-cheek that you're like well you know how this goes but we're gonna do the opposite or you know we're gonna twist this around a little bit and Mm -hmm. honestly i don't even know why i'm bringing this up but (laughs) it reminds me of like star wars the last jedi where like they're like all the beats and things that you remember from empire strikes back and return of the jedi you know ryan johnson sitting there just being like well guess what uh i I, well it's not a snow planet it's a salt planet and uh they're actually not in the beginning fighting atsts or it's gonna be at the end and but the difference there mike is that in this world we get her tying a guy to a bed and debating whether or not to like hit him with a sledgehammer or whatever but she does do those things in the future yes because it is canon that she like because they show the end with like it's canon in the sense that okay she's gonna go sheldon is yet to come yeah and that is going to happen because they hint at it that means that all the things that reference the event of the future happen here but they're heroically done when they're done here one of the things i started wondering with this is that do you feel as if because there's the, the the connections to the first season are so loose yeah. at best? Um, I mean, like at one point you see like um, you know Andre um, Holland's character like on a fucking like missing yeah. Ad in I, Canada, I mean, I which thought that was so dubious. I thought and that was kind of in, that was it, one, was it was interesting, but it was also like great. Thanks yeah. at this point, the twenty fifth well, yeah, hour. If it's like I don't know if they because I'll just say this: if it involved Bill Skarsgård, uh, because more. spoiler alert, he returns. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I want to talk about that. I love him. Yes. So the but only, no, but here, but here's my question. About okay. This. You go. And, it, and it ties to this is, do you feel there was a, there was a point where they actually wanted to set this maybe in the seventies and, um, or early on to actually still be like beholden to like the, you know, this, the, the original like timeline yeah, yeah. because none of it really needed to but be but it wouldn't have worked anyways because ace wouldn't have been that age pop wouldn't have been that age like like it, the timelines don't match up and yeah. the the history of castle rock if you want to adhere at least somewhat to the books none of it adds up time wise yeah, like true. throwing m- m- mashing annie and these characters in one story, it does not well, work. What, like, what era does Sundog take place in? Uh, like well, it's, it takes place right before Needful Things. Yeah, so because then that's because obviously what yeah. it ends with the burning. Yeah, down. so but, it's um, like late eighties. So it's late eighties. So like, if they had said it in like seventy nine. I misery know, and she's still young enough because misery is like you know eighty seven. But even then, it's like the 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 number one problem is that. They're taking King IP, mm-hmm. and this is this is where everybody online is like telling me I'm crazy. But like, they're taking King IP and they're not respecting it. No, and mm-hmm. maybe I sound like a fanboy. I don't really give a shit. Like, I, it's like 
it's like, don't take a character who has a rich, interesting history, yeah. slap a name on somebody who has nothing to do with that character. And then like, and then like Ace Merrill is, is such a great, interesting villain in the world of King. And then you kill Sp- Paul Sparks, who's playing him in the first episode and then turn him into a zombie. And mm-hmm. he just talks in sort of a weird, disaffected tone yeah. the entire time. He is never Ace Merrill. No. He is never Ace Merrill. And then it's like, and then Pop Merrill too. It's like, it's like his story is also so disconnected from like what we do know about him. I have less issues with that story. Mm-hmm. Um, but then Annie too, it's like, it's like they're trying to incorporate everything we know about misery, which doesn't take place for another, you know, what, 20 years, like in, at least in this timeline that they've built. Yeah. And they're trying to use everything we know about that to inform all of these early actions. And then they're giving her another backstory that is way too convenient for like, well, all of it's convenient. All of it. It's like, and it just feels like, uh, like, um, what's the word? I'm fan fiction. Mm -hmm. Like it's, 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 Mm -hmm. it's, it's Easter egg, porn fan fiction and it bugs me because it's like there are stories to tell here that are interesting but it's like not when you call her annie wilkes well it's it kind of goes back to like our first season coverage for castle rock when i kept joking that ruth was going to be carrie yeah (laughs) and and like the showrunners were just like you know what (laughs) she is like that that sort of mentality like i mean it's just it's so funny, and I don't know why I'm shocked that this actually happened, because given today's day and age, we, we were so lucky to actually even get a first season like Castle Rock, where you can just do something organic and doesn't have to lean too hard on IP. But like in hindsight, of course they were going to go and lean more on the Jackie Torrance type the stuff. The American Horror Story route? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, because you know, like, it's just, like, why wouldn't they? I mean, this, the ratings weren't great on the first season. So how can you get it? Well, you got to show that this is as Stephen King as possible, you know, which you didn't, you know. And I guess like if you were, okay, so I'm just, those were all my fundamental issues. Yeah. But then it just sucked. I know. It's like, it wasn't even good. No. And so, because basically, like I think on, the best episode- On a narrative episode, level, it, it's, it's a disappointment. Yeah. So the best yeah. episode, Jen, is there is one that goes back like 400 years. Yeah. And this is where it sort of evokes- what? Yeah. yeah, it becomes it, like Jerusalem's lot. It becomes the, like the, 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 the Jerusalem lot short story oh, short from story. from mm-hmm. uh, Night Shift, yeah. which is interesting. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I'd say very loosely. It's there, very loose. There are connections, but mm-hmm. it's very loose. And uh, basically, there is a you know a very Christian settlement, and then uh, one of them meets like a figure like basically a a hooded figure with Mm -hmm. like light emanating from under the hood which is a very satanic image and uh and basically become satanists and there's this large group of satanists and then they basically because he's able to grow the crops yeah satan allows them to be able to satan satan allows them to be able to (laughs) grow the crops so they behind the rows what was that oh he walk behind the rows also no well probably i mean it it probably is randall flag well that's that's what i want to talk about yeah so so basically we see that happen and then uh they basically take over this village and then they all like kill themselves to like come back in 400 years yeah. i'm missing a it's, step somewhere. It's, so, <laughs> it's a little convoluted you're missing it doesn't even matter if you miss steps because the fucking show jumps like 30 steps also but so like they basically do an inverse of they lean on the 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 what lore we know of um you know the 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 Marston house from Salem's Lot and the the idea yeah, that something that. supernatural is there um and but they... we see that the figure under the hood was Bill Skarsgård yeah so <gasps> yes and so oh. 
Yeah, that was the most excited I was mm-hmm. the entire season because yeah. suddenly it felt like the, it was becoming a world again. Yeah. It felt <laughs> like it. It felt like the first. It. It felt like there was this nod to the first season, and it. It. It suddenly brought clarity to what the kid was. Mm-hmm. Uh, like they that, even go back down to Shawshank. Yes. Like, so, uh, yeah. And so we see them go into like where Henry Deaver locked up the kid yep. at the end of the first season and the cage is unlocked. Later, we see a missing person sign for Henry Deaver. That's just a Easter egg, but it's there. And then, mm-hmm. but then basically, uh, and then we also see the kid uh, as, Come to the town. as Satan. Yeah. yeah he, and he, uh, he walks through a thinny. We mm-hmm. basically, well, I mean, it's the implication of a thinny. So we see mm-hmm. that happen, this idea that he is traveling through time. They erect a statue of him in town and everybody becomes hypnotized by it. But the but what I loved about the Bill Skarsgård cameo and the fact that he was that character was that it posited him as the Randall flag of this show's universe. Mm-hmm. This this person who can travel through time has affiliations with the with hell in whatever yeah. you know because we know that randall flag like basically is an emissary of the devil yeah and um as it exists in king's world and uh and also you know travels through time and can manipulate people mm-hmm. and basically make them his followers and that to me is super interesting and i was fascinated by that and, and they then, use a lot of the illusions that were in the penultimate episode of the first season yeah. you know cuz like if you if you recall when they are running through the forest um and you know you're going from the point of view of the kid um, and also where Henry Deaver has been as a you know as a child and all this time, um, there is that sequence where you know you see the person with like the the butcher's knife and yep. like in the forest and that does come back yep. and into here and you find out why and so there is some setup there. Um, it just feels largely abandoned again in service for Annie Wilkes. Yep, that's Ooh. the thing is is <laughs> like all that interesting lore and usually I'm not a big lore person. I know, me but either. in this instance, I was enjoying it because it it felt like it gave the whole thing a little weight. It yeah. didn't feel like these disconnected stories that were being mashed together. Yeah. I felt like I was in good hands yeah. for a minute. And also, this is a show called Castle Rock. Yeah. And, so, and when it's about Castle Rock, yeah, kind of interesting. Exactly. You know? And then, but then the last couple episodes just kind of became like an action movie a little bit. And there was a lot of explosions and uh, they were blowing up the house. And it They're was basically like, like what, what if, what if we, um, we had a really cool uh, night shift story that we're leaning on for episode seven. Uh, this is like our queen for season two, but the next, the next episode, we're going to do a Salt and Precinct 13 uh, remake. <laughs> and then after that, we're also going to just go into this, like, Gone Girl type thing where, she, wow, we're just going to focus on Annie. We're going to wrap up all these huge threads. Oh, you mean, that, like, the epilogue? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, we we, we, we we spend this entire time building up Pop, building up the nurse, building up, you know, his, 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 his yeah. daughter, like, all this other stuff. And they are just fucking ramshotted away, and you get... Annie for 40 minutes with her daughter. So the final episode ends with basically Annie and Joy leave town. Uh, They seem happy, but then Joy starts because Joy's basically turned into like the demon child bride, like almost. And then they save her. And then, but, but there's the question of like, oh, is she still possessed? And then Annie becomes convinced that she is. And then, kills her <laughs> she, she drowns her in the water and wow. i know and then uh but then it turns out that but then there's like this whole fake dream sequence where where she, she realizes what she's done and she saves joy but yeah. then no that's not the case so basically it's like oh she's truly gone mad and then that's when she's at the reading for yeah. sheldon it, it's so. just it's just such a, it's so a bad. weightless 
last Ooh. episode that honestly given how the first you know first season ended and this one it's like they don't know how to land it no you know and granted i don't think they ever really knew how to start the season um i think that you know like jen what you were saying um with just watching the first two episodes there is a lot and mm-hmm. i think that they had a little bit too much and then maybe they i still want to believe that they had just the merrill storyline yeah. with the Somalians and um, all the stuff going on with Jerusalem's lot, and then you know Hulu was like, "Where's the IP?" And then yeah, just... ultimately for me, the real story in all of it was the is the Meryl storyline yeah. and the Jerusalem lot storyline, and uh, the Annie stuff has interesting moments, but in the end, it's 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 both shoehorned in mm-hmm. and also the main focus, yeah, which is mm-hmm. what's really hard about it. So I don't know. We, 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 we tried, man. Like, but it's like, I think that it was frustrating. Mm -hmm. And that's, Mm -hmm. I think the big thing is we love the idea of this show. And the last thing we, and we were so happy in the first season when it didn't turn into Stephen King, Easter egg reference, fan fiction, Mm -hmm. porn. And then this second season, and there are like, we bash on it. There are some good things. Like it's not a worthless watch and it's, it's, it's loony and propulsive enough that, you know, if you if you're just half in, half out, you might kind of find some enjoyment in it. But for I think for us, we uh, we it's like we're just maybe we're just too connected to King. You know, we mm. we don't want the references. We want the characters. Yeah. We don't want the names. We want the actual history like we want you to uh, like you did in the first season, like use the world. Yeah. Don't just like point at the world yeah. you know what i mean well the way i always looked at it was like all right we're in an age where original storytelling is so hard to sell without having ip attached to it well you had all the terrain and you know corollary characters that king has already created to go and tell your own original stories and like i guess someone can make the argument that yeah this is an original story it's like yeah sure it's an original story but it is all, an original but, story but at the same time it's also you know again like reworking and recalibrating already set stories like it's also not an inspired story no there's nothing all that exciting about no, it like and it doesn't feel like a king story like that's if the first season at least felt like a king narrative yeah. the second season doesn't no he it, did not write stories like this i don't even know what, like what themes you'd even take away with right this. right like, the only thing i don't know if they do do another season i think it could potentially be um, I mean, they point towards the Henry Deaver disappearance. They toy with Bill Skarsgård. If they do do another season, they might be revisiting those characters. Uh, but wow. then also, because in the first season, they hint at the second season by showing a street sign for Jerusalem's Lot. They did. And that ended up being prescient in terms of what the second season was about. If And then in the... I think the penultimate episode of the second season, they show a street sign pointing to Derry. So if they do do a third season, I think it could be set in Derry. What that means, who knows? Skarsgård playing t- multiple roles, it's maybe. Just, it, it's, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Pennywise again. I mean, because all, they all have basis in Warner Brothers, so it's like you could technically do it. But again, it's like, it's called fucking Castle Rock. I know, right? Just mm-hmm. come up with some stories. Like, would it have been that hard for them to take the Fargo route and just come up with uh-huh. different stories in different eras and use the characters that are in those times? Like, I know. And I think that's what's frustrating, too, is is I can see the use of Ace and Pop because they're yeah. Castle Rock people. Yeah. Annie had never has anything to do with <laughs> that. She lives on the other side of the country. But it's like, it's like you know, you're reading Needful Things right now. Yeah. 
how many characters oh are my there? god there's so many <laughs> that you could like so many if you want to tell extended stories there are so many people and it's hinted at that bannerman has dealt with you know which is obviously before Penguin had so many things that he had to deal with that were outside of like you know Cujo or yeah. the Dead Zone it's like yeah make him a character tell then. a Bannerman story yeah I'm like, gonna do have it him early on yeah you know even if it's him just like fucking eating chili like he does in the Dead Zone like I, I, I <laughs> just do something like why do we need to have you know what's the next season gonna be Arnie from Christine's gonna come back <laughs> like you know like characters that have nothing to do with it like oh look oh you know a family moved into Derry and uh, mm. you know they're a doctor and it's the guy from Duma Key yeah it's a <laughs> Exactly. Like, come on. I, I just, I don't know. It, it, it just seems like such a waste. And I'll, I, you know, I say all this and, you know, they're going to announce the third season. I'm going to have to write it up. Yeah. I'm going <laughs> to request screeners yep. if they give them to me. Well, if they give them to I us. I, They revoked mine. Um, they revoked yours and they, they, they stopped, they didn't revoke mine, but they stopped giving me new ones. Mm. So when I, I was doing Easter egg duty on AV Club and I would have to do it the day they dropped, which was very annoying. So, uh, yeah, you know, so there's that. But it's, I mean, I, you know, third season drops, we're watching Where, where would you take it? Where, oh, where right would now. I take it? Yeah, how would you? I mean, if I wanted like an ideal season, I would take, um, I mean, it's hard for me to, like, I wouldn't want to bring together a bunch of people from disparate king works no. i would want to focus on somebody interesting from the needful thing not needful things but like castle rock yeah. war uh and like maybe tell us like an origin story for uh frank dodd you know yeah. like from mm-hmm. dead zone like i mean i know that sounds a little cheesy but like a serial killer story about frank dodd and like becoming a serial killer uh and I mean, obviously, you know how it ends because you know Dead Zone, but that's still more interesting to me than just like Mad Libs with Stephen King characters, you know, like at least give me or like, you know, tell me what happened to uh, uh, I'm trying to think of like uh, some good examples, like give me a Norris Ridgewick story. I know. Give me an Andy Clutterbuck Mm -hmm. story. Like Mm -hmm. if these are George Bannerman's a great example, like give me just a procedural George Bannerman, like here's something he dealt with before Cujo, you know, like. Like, like, how far back do these things go? I don't know. I'm just riffing. But. And you could even have a dumb Easter egg where he's like, oh, hey, Cujo. And he, like, pats <laughs> on his head, even though he's going to rip his fucking guts out. There you go. Yeah. Um. Uh, Jen, what about you? Do you have any uh, any idea, uh, any, like, your ideal Castle Rock season? My ideal Castle Rock season would be to stay in Castle Rock, just like what you guys were saying. I think a Buster season would be interesting because mm. he's such a, like, a mm. fulfilling villain. But yes. if they're going, if they're going to go dairy. I, I don't think they could stay away from going into it, but it would be cool to do more insomnia kind of stuff. Yeah. Because I'm not a huge fan of that book, but I mean, that lends itself to batshit insanity, yes. you know? I would so be that, into uh, bring those little doctors back. Yeah, maybe one of them spills Skarsgård, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Cast them and everything. I I, I, I kind of hope they, uh, you know, they, they bring back uh, Jerusalem's lot a little bit. We get some mm. Ben Mears. Um, you know, mm. he, he, he's not even Ben Mears from Salem's lot. And, you know, he, he's married to, um, you know, Polly, uh, from needful <laughs> things. Let's just like fuck up the universe as much just as possible. Tear it up, tear and it like, you know, Ellie Creed is a teacher, um, at the, you know, the school, um, it, it just make no sense. What's no, I don't want any of that. I just cat. <laughs> a cat. Yeah, exactly. Oh God. You know. <laughs> There's like a car that you know that's up like that's for sale and it has to be Christine. Oh um, my god! See, I, I mean, hey, go full camp and just, just throw it all it. in there. Go on, Put, yeah, have Cooge driving Christine. Like we've made that joke, but it's yeah. like- 
Tad Tad Beaumont's like a you know um uh, Thad or Tad it's Tad Beaumont right? Uh, I think so. Um, he's teaching like you know English. And he's just like uh, you know he's got, he's got a brother um, that, that that happens to be. <laughs> like corrupt that story also um yeah man just stay away from jackie torrance i don't want that yeah we don't want that i I, it's just let's just say like know that we are disappointed you know we wanted to like it it's Mm -hmm. just uh you know it's like uh and know that we'll always we'll always enter into another season of castle rock with an open mind Mm -hmm. we promise you that listeners uh but also watch the outsider because we absolutely loved it and we're very excited for the year to come with king we're going to be talking more about that next week so stay tuned for that what's that yeah a lot of tv this year a lot of tv this year and there's probably i guarantee that more stuff's going to be announced uh and probably some stuff's going to drop that we're not even you know like aware that's gonna happen i know so i mean for all we know like you know thomas jane's new movie that he's doing the oh yeah the the, what was it buick eight from buick eight is he doing yeah he's doing buick eight you know watch that drop by the end of the year yeah yeah tom jane uh is it's like his production company too so he's in he's playing the buick when we're big tom jane fans here at losers club so love tom jane so i want my kids back man (laughs) (laughs) yes exactly oh god sweet uh, so Jen, what's uh, what do you what do you have coming up uh, for the horror version? Um, so we just I uh, think the episode that recently dropped was Final Destination, and we just recorded our listener request, which was Train to Busan, Ooh. and none of us had seen it before. And spoiler, we all loved it, and it was you know it was kind of an emotional watch if you've seen that movie, but it was really fun. And then next we are gonna do Women in Horror Month for February. So we've picked some good, um, strong female characters. Um, and we're going to start off with Silence of the Lambs, which oh, I'm sweet. really... Nice, nice. Oh, to get man. us prime for uh, Clarice, the I show. Feel like, yeah, I feel yeah. like I know many people who say their favorite horror movie is Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. Well, we were talking to Todd. He watched the trailer for it, and he was like, wait, so he's in jail, and then he gets out, and the movie is about them finding him, right? And we were both looking at him like, oh, my God, he doesn't know what's going to happen. <laughs> so, I'm so excited to watch it with gift. him. What a gift. Yeah, it's so much more macabre than that. Um, <laughs> Buffalo Bill is just... Oof. No, that's such a gift, though, to be able to watch, like, I don't know, something like that with somebody who has no idea what's coming. Yeah. It, like, right. that's the best, yeah. you know? Especially with a movie like that that I feel like is so known. Yeah, everybody knows what happens in Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. So when you find somebody who doesn't, it's like, uh, watch it quick before it gets spoiled. <laughs> yeah. I know, like, don't tell him anything. <laughs> That's it's, amazing. I, I, like it's funny because I um I, I there's it's very rare that I I don't know what I'm going to be seeing going into it. But like the only one I could think of where I legit did not know was um from Dustal Dawn. Oh nice. Because um, I had never heard I hadn't really heard anything about it, and I just caught it late at night. And when the vampires happened in that, I was like, what the fuck am I watching? Mine was uh, <laughs> like, Sleepaway Camp. Oh, the ending that, of that? never yeah. got spoiled for me. That and that I, wasn't spoiled either. Yeah, that's I watched it on a date like. Uh, God, like seven or eight years ago. I know it was like, well, that that was kind of what I liked about it was I was like, okay, this is cool. Like, well, we were talking about horror all night. And then she's like, hey, come back. We'll watch Sleepaway Camp. Because I was like, I've never seen Sleepaway Camp. And then I had no idea what happened. And I remember like, I found it genuinely really, really scary. Like really scary. Well, the ending shot. Well, I mean, the movie's really cheesy and silly and not great. And then that final, like, two minutes mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. is enough to justify that film's like you know enduring legacy yeah mm-hmm. it's so yeah. scary i agree well yeah. thank you so much jen this was a blast it was fun oh, to talk about uh the outsider hopefully we'll have you on again 
hopefully. Yeah, I'd love to. Sweet. Well, uh, Mike, I think it's time to sign off. Uh, first episode of 2020. Good times. This was a good time. Do you have anything else to add before we, we sign off? Uh, no, I just know that we have some long days. And pleasant <laughs> nights. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. But you know you want somebody to treat you good. Consequence Podcast Network.